Hello, my name is Heidi Gardner, and I am here today to talk about HIPAA and how to protect client information. I'm assuming that most of you have had HIPAA training, but I'm going to talk about how we apply HIPAA within our organization. You may follow along with the PowerPoint presentation, and I will remind you to go to the next slide. I am now on slide two, which says, what is HIPAA? HIPAA is a Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. It's a federal uh, body of regulations. There are also state regulations that I'll talk about in a little bit. Next slide. What is HIPAA? Well, HIPAA was passed to improve the way that providers exchange information. In this day and age, patients wanted and providers also wanted to be able to exchange information electronically, to have a medical health record for each individual. But in order to do that and exchange records, people wanted to make sure that there were proper controls on the safety and integrity of that information. Thus, the HIPAA privacy and security rules were passed. The privacy rule deals with health information in any format, whether it be paper or electronic, whereas the security rule only deals with information that's in an electronic format. What that means for MHSADS is that our paper records are only covered under the privacy rule, whereas our electronic health records, both the privacy and the security rules, govern what we can do. I'm going to turn to the next slide. In a nutshell, what does the privacy rule do? It establishes basic rights for clients, including when they can ask for information and how, how long we have to respond to that. Make a client can make a request for an amendment or ask who we gave their information to. It also establishes things that we as a provider must do. We must, for example, provide training, which is why you are here today. We must also report violation and have proper safeguards of that information. The next slide. Loudoun County government is a hybrid covered entity under HIPAA. What that means is that Loudoun County decided to only put those portions that are actually covered entities under its HIPAA umbrella and that the rest of the county does not fall under HIPAA. Our department, MHSADS, is considered to be a healthcare provider. There are several other departments in the county that are also covered under HIPAA. The next slide talks about relationship to other regulations. HIPAA was passed in order to be a floor of regulations, not the ceiling but rather to establish standards that would be applicable across all healthcare providers, health insurance, um, health plans, and health clearinghouses. So what that meant is that there may be other regulations or law, both from the federal and a state, that are also applicable to the confidentiality of health information. For MHSADS, there are a couple of other regulations. One is the Virginia Health Rights, excuse me, Human Rights Regulations. And those deal with a variety of, 
standards, including confidentiality of client information. Virginia also has the health privacy regulations, which is basically the state of Virginia's equivalent to HIPAA, the federal regulations, but there are some differences, and I'll point those out as we go along. Another body of regulations is 42 CFR Part 2, which is federal drug and alcohol confidentiality laws that are applicable to alcohol and substance abuse treatment records. In all of those other laws, HIPAA is going to govern or preempt the other regulation unless one of two possibilities is on point. The first being that the other regulation provides greater access for the client or the patient. Or the second reason is if the regulation provides greater or tighter controls of the information, then it will trump HIPAA. Otherwise, HIPAA is going to trump the other regulations. The next slide, what is protected, talks about the definition of protected health information. And as you can see, it um, talks about information in any format. Probably most of you have heard of the term protected health information, which is definitely a HIPAA term. We also, though, are governed under the human rights regulation a need to talk about the confidentiality of all client information. So if you see on your next slide, it gives a more detailed definition of individually identifiable information, which is HIPAA. But then if you go to your next slide, which is entitled Human Rights, you'll notice that there it says each individual is entitled to have all identifying information that a provider maintains or knows about him remain confidential. So you may hear myself and other employees of MHSADS talk about protected health information or confidential client information. Here at MHSADS, we keep all information about a client as we need to protect that. So you may hear those terms being used interchangeably. I will note that for those clients that are served under our early intervention program, which is part of developmental services, the HIPAA regulations are not, do not cover those clients. Instead, there is a federal regulation called FERPA, which deals with medical records of, for that population of clients. The next slide um, is uses and disclosures. Before I jump into that topic, I want to go over one rule that you may have heard about called the minimum necessary rule. And this rule does two things. The first is it tells us as employees that we can only access or use or disclose information that we need in order to do our job. So for example, if I need to go into a client's record to look up a piece of information such as their date of birth, that does not allow me to then go back from the beginning of when we started serving this person and read through their entire chart. That would be a violation of the minimum necessary rule. The other
other thing that the Men Unnecessary Rule does is it requires our agency to set up access controls so that the people that need to have access to information have that information, but that those that do not need to have access don't have access. What that means for you is that you will have access to the clients that you're serving, but you will not have access to the clients that you are not serving. The next slide says use and disclosure. In a nutshell, use is talking about when an employee of MHSADS is looking at information, sharing information within MHSADS, so with another employee of this department. Disclosure describes when an employee of this department is providing information, be it oral or written, electronic, to someone or to some entity outside of this department. HIPAA talks about use and disclosure in that way. The exception is 42 CFR, which you may remember, talks about the uh, substance and alcohol treatment records. That body of regulations, which has very tight controls, treats almost everything as a disclosure. So what that means is in order for us to get paid for services rendered for clients that fall under 42 CFR or their records fall under that, we actually have to have the client sign a release that we can release their information to their insurance company. In contrast, for the other clients that we serve, we do not have that requirement that we have to have them sign an authorization before we can seek payment. I'll talk more about payment later on, but I did want to, in a nutshell, describe how 42 CFR limits how we can disclose information without the client's authorization. The next slide talks about disclosures. The general rule is that information is not disclosed unless we have a valid authorization or we are required or permitted to make the disclosure. And I'll give a list of um, instances for which we can make a disclosure in a moment. But basically, if you're in doubt whether or not you need to get someone to sign an authorization, you need to go ahead and get an authorization. And it would be better to get an authorization that you didn't need, that would be better than not getting an authorization that you should have gotten. The next slide talks about specific requirements that a valid authorization must have. Gone are the days for which you could just ask a client, may I share this information? And the person said, sure, you wrote a progress note that said so-and-so said you could share the information and then you signed it. Instead, now, there are very specific requirements under HIPAA that have to be met in order for the authorization to be deemed valid. You can read on there that we have to have the entity for whom it's going to be disclosed, and we have to give an expiration date or event. Typically, within MHSADS, we require that disclosures are signed every year. 
typically at the sign at the time of treatment planning for a client. We review who the individual has given authorization to receive information and review whether or not that's still a person for whom the client would like to have us disclose information and then the client would sign a new release. As you can see, it also must be signed and dated. The next slide talks about the authorization to release information in terms of a client being able to revoke that. And a client may revoke an authorization at any time. We do require that a client puts that in writing. A minute ago, I talked about the basic role is that we need an authorization or we need a permitted or required um, situation in order for us to disclose protected health information or confidential client information. The next slide, which is entitled Permitted Disclosure, gives a list of situations for which we are not required to have an authorization. I'm going to talk about treatment payment and healthcare operations momentarily. The rest of the list are basically situations that are public health related or have some interest, the public having some interest in safety, etc. And in all of these cases, there are specific guidelines for how we can um, release information and when we can release information. For example, you'll notice there that it says we may disclose um, health information for law enforcement purposes. Well, that's a very narrow situation that the regulations set forth, and it doesn't mean that if a law enforcement official came to our front um, door and said, I want all of your records and didn't have a court order that we would be required to produce them. Instead, this is a situation in which if uh, law enforcement is trying to apprehend a potential um, perpetrator, then we are allowed to disclose certain information in that situation. So please talk to your supervisor if you have questions about when we can make a specific disclosure. The next slide talks about allowable disclosures for treatment. Treatment is the biggest category of disclosures and uses that we have here in MHSADS. You do not need a authorization when you're disclosing information for the treatment of purpose for the purpose of treatment. So for example, if a employee is a group home staff member is talking to a uh, day program individual and they're talking about the treatment of a client that they both serve, they may have that conversation without an authorization. Payment pretty self-explanatory. If you remember, I said under 42 CFR, we are not allowed to seek reimbursement for payment or rather we're not allowed to share client information unless we have a release. For all other types of clients, we may seek payment without having sign, without having someone sign an authorization. 
you go to the next slide, it talks about healthcare operations. These are activities that are important to this department to do, but are not necessarily about serving any particular client. For example, if a supervisor goes through a client's chart and makes note of what might be missing or what needs to be um, completed for that individual client, that notation or document doesn't become part of the client's record in terms of what the client could see, but it is deemed to be healthcare operations. And we are allowed to disclose protected health information for healthcare operation purposes. Disclosures is the next slide. We are required to document disclosures that are not related to treatment payment or healthcare operations or based on a client's authorization. The reason that we require this, and we'll talk more about this toward the end of the presentation, is that clients that we serve have a right to ask, who did you give my information to? And we must be able to account for that. We use a disclosure log in order to track that information. Now, this requirement for the disclosure log is separate than any clinical requirements that may be applicable to your program, and your supervisor will provide you further guidance on that. This is talking about the HIPAA requirement only. I am now up to a slide that says safeguarding PHI and client information. Basically, what this is, is talking about protections or safeguards that we must use in order to protect client information. Everyone must be mindful of protecting client information, and it's everybody's job to be aware of protections that you need to do and to protect client information. The next slide talks about your role in protecting privacy and talks about being sensitive to the fact that trash is a source of information. If you think about a group home where you may have a prescription bottle, you may indeed not only have the prescription bottle that has PHI, but you may have the bag from the pharmacy that contains the client's name. And inside of there, there may be an insert with the client's name probably and other identifying information. And that actually may be a couple of pages and each page may have client information. And then you have the pill box or bottle. Um, you are not allowed to just throw those items that have client information into the trash. Instead, you need to properly dispose of it. In each facility, there is some kind of either a shredding bin for which it's a locked bin that is taken and sh shredded on site, or there's a shredder that you can use. You need to make sure that you don't leave protected health information in a way that other people can see it and that you properly dispose of protected health information. The next slide is talking about transporting protected health information. And Due to the way that this department is set up, 
we have a lot of employees that serve people out in the community. That's part of what we do, which means we need to transport client information. We also, though, need to make sure that we have appropriate and use appropriate protections when we're transporting that client information. And I'm going to talk here um, about the specifics in just a minute, but I want to give a real-life example that happened from another health system up in the Northeast. There was an employee who had um, paper records for about 192 people or information about 192 people that were patients of a communicable diseases unit. So some sensitive information that was um, in those records, the employee took the documents home to do some work at home, had the file in their bag, removed the file while they were on public transportation to apply their makeup, but did not return the documents back to their bag. The documents were never found. But under breach notification, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, that agency was required to tell all 192 people that they could not account for their information. Several of those individuals filed a privacy complaint with the Office of Civil Rights. The Office of Civil Rights did an investigation, and they settled with that provider for $1 million. I bring that out as an example of the harsh penalties that can be attached when there is a HIPAA violation. So, on to the next slide for us that I'll talk about what we require in order to minimize a HIPAA violation. All client information that is taken from an office must be in a secured container. It could be latched, zipped, or locked, but it must be secured not have an open bag and the container must be labeled with the information that you can see on your screen basically it says this is confidential information and if it's found who what do you need to do or who can you send it to this in of itself doesn't prevent a HIPAA violation but hopefully it lessens the chance that we would lose protected health information and if we did somehow lose or misplace protected health information, someone that found that would, one, treat it as confidential information and also return it to us. If you notice, this um, allows for latch, zipped, or locked containers. Your program has their own way or its own way of protecting and transporting information within this rule. Your supervisor can tell you how your program um, meets this requirement. All facilities have envelopes that are the confidential envelopes that have this required language and you need to make sure you know where those envelopes are and you may, if you transport client information and work at maybe a group home, you may want to actually keep one of those envelopes with you. The next slide talks about oral communications. And this is a reminder to take precautions with any verbal communications, whether you're leaving a voice message for a client on their voicemail, or you're having a conversation with another uh, employee about a client. You want to be sensitive 
that you're not talking about clients' information in the hallways. Even if no one's around, there could be someone coming down the hall or in another office that can overhear that conversation. The next slide talks about faxing. And faxing may be the best way to communicate client information, but faxing is not without risks. A person could misdial and thus send client information to the wrong number, or at times, and this has happened within our department, employees have been given the wrong fax number by the recipient. But there may be times when indeed the best way to get information from one place to the other is by fax. So if you're faxing, it needs to have a confidential fax cover sheet. Obviously, that confidential fax cover sheet should contain no client information. It's like a warning that says what follows is confidential. The next slide talks about faxing precautions that you should use. Minimum necessary, making sure you've got the right fax number and when the requester of the information is going to be available to receive the fax and verifying that they receive the fax either via the log or by having a conversation or email with the other individual. The next slide talks about what should you do if you misdirect a fax. You want to take immediate action. If you know the number that you sent it to in error, you want to try to contact that person or that number to ask them to destroy the facts. You also need to document this as an incident in the incident reporting system. You also want to talk to your supervisor and let them know. This type of event should also be recorded on the disclosure log. The next slide talks about computer usage. If you read this slide, you will see requirements that the county has about using the computers. So these are not rules that are particular to this department or to departments that have protected health information, but rather these are rules that are applicable throughout the county. Some specific rules that we have in our department, if you go to the next slide, is we do not allow for PHI to be saved on thumb drives. Um, many of the breaches that have happened and been reported to the Office of Civil Rights, which is the enforcement body of HIPAA, have a lot of those breaches have been lost or misplaced thumb drives that contain um, information. I like to say the good news is thumb drives, you can get a lot of information on a really little device. That's the good news. The bad news, you can get a lot of information on a little device. In the case of a misplaced thumb drive, that would could lead to a HIPAA breach. So we do not allow protected health information on thumb drives you need to talk to your supervisor to find out where you and your team put 
information that's client related that's not put into the client record. The other piece of information on this slide is printing. That if you're going to print to a common area, you want to either use a secure printing feature so that you don't print until you actually arrive at the machine and you enter a code, or you want to immediately go and pick up the documents. That you don't want to leave protected health information, client information on a printer for a period of time. The next slide starts our segment on email. One of the requirements that this department has is that there must be a confidentiality statement at the bottom of every email. You can set that up as a signature. You can cut and paste from another employee's signature line and basically make that a standard part of every email that you have. Once again, this protection doesn't mean that we won't have a HIPAA violation, but it's another safeguard or warning that we put on our emails. When you're using email to send client information, and we'll talk about the specifics in a minute, you want to apply the minimum necessary standard and only send that information which is required to accomplish the tasks at hand. The next slide talks about taking reasonable precautions. This department allows or says you must use some form, at least one form of protection, um, but you may use more than one form. And some of the examples are on the screen that you can remove protected health information from the email. From the email. You can encrypt the document. You can utilize a digital certificate if the person on the other end has that technology. So you need to talk to your supervisor to find out how your team protects client information. There is also an email policy on the G Drive that you need to become familiar with. In terms of communicating with clients, and I click to the next slide, you are only allowed to communicate with the client using email if the client has consented after we inform them of the risks of email communication and that we will only communicate for a very limited purpose of scheduling appointments and or coordinating services. If a client says that they would like to be um, contacted or communicate via email, then we need to make sure we document that in the record. The client is asked this question at the point that they enter our services and periodically throughout their time that they're being served. In terms of communications that you have with clients, what you need to do is summarize that communication in an email in the client's record. The next slide is entitled Complaints and Violations. Complaints. A client can complain 
if they believe that their privacy rights have been violated. And they actually have three avenues for which they can utilize. One is they can complain internally here. Please talk to your supervisor to find out who the privacy officer is and that person fields complaints. A second avenue is that a client can complain to the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, the Office of Civil Rights. Our human rights advocate who works for the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services is Mark Seymour. His contact information is listed on our privacy notice. Third avenue that a client can use if they believe that their privacy rights have been violated is that they can complain directly to the Office of Civil Rights, which is, like I said, the enforcement body for the HIPAA regulations. If you believe that there's been a HIPAA violation or potential violation, you need to act immediately. You need to let your supervisor know and you need to complete an incident report using the incident reporting system. This department conducts investigations into all actual and potential HIPAA violations. Those uh, reports must be reported to the county administration and our duty has, our department has a duty to mitigate all harm to clients. So for example, similar to when there's been a data breach and you may have heard at a department store, that department store didn't say, well, we're gonna find out exactly what happened and then we're gonna stop the flow of information. No, what happened in that situation with that department store is they immediately um, sent notices and stopped the flow of information. So the sooner that we know about an incident, the quicker we can try to correct it and mitigate any harm to clients. Violations and um, of a HIPAA nature may lead to policy and procedural changes or how we do things to decrease the likelihood that we would have a similar incident. The next slide is entitled Breach Notification, and you can read that definition. This is a definition that took um, effect in March of 2013, so that if you had a HIPAA training prior to that date, you may have actually learned a different definition. The definition that became effective in March basically states that any um, use or disclosure that's not permitted under the regs is presumed to be a HIPAA violation unless you can show certain things. And the next slide shows the risk of factors that are used to determine whether there's a low probability that the protected health information or client information has been compromised. As you can see, it's presumed to be a HIPAA breach unless you can show otherwise. And that is a change from the regulations that came out in 2009. If we determine that we've had a HIPAA breach, we have to do a couple of things. 
we need to notify the clients and let them know specific information about the types of PHI which may have been compromised, who they can contact to find out information or make a complaint, and steps that they might want to use to protect themselves. The other thing that we have to do is we have to notify the Office of Civil Rights of any HIPAA breaches. If there are 500 or more clients involved, we must immediately contact the local news media as well as the Office of Civil Rights. If there are less than 500 people that are involved in a HIPAA, HIPAA breach situation, we must notify the Office of Civil Rights within 60 days from the end of a calendar year. If you remember back at the beginning of the presentation, I talked about one of the things that HIPAA did is it set forth rights of the people that we serve in terms of their, the client information. And this next segment is going to go into more detail about those rights of the clients. So the first thing I want to talk about is the privacy notice. This notice is given to clients at the time that they come into services. We need to go over this with clients and not just give it to them and say sign this, but we need to actually go over it and make sure they understand how we can use their information without their authorization and what their rights are pertaining to their information. Clients can request a copy of the privacy notice at any time. We also have to post at our sites, both group homes, a mental health centers, friendship house, for example, a notice of our privacy practices. And on that notice, you'll see it talks about who to contact if someone has a question or a complaint. The next slide talks about a substitute decision maker. And this information is not just applicable to HIPAA, but I did want to bring this up, that some clients have a substitute decision maker. You may have, hear that um, individual called an authorized representative, and that other person may have the authority to make decisions for the client. In such situations, we need to know if someone has someone that can make other decisions so it's our responsibility to gather, to verify, and copy, and put those documents in the proper place if an individual has a substitute decision maker. The term single accountable, accountable individual is the employee who would be responsible for such activities. In terms of HIPAA, this is important because in most cases, a authorized representative steps into the shoes of the client in terms of the rights articulated in the HIPAA regulations. Then the next topic talks about the client's right to access the chart. And if you read that slide, you'll notice that there's a new term that I have not yet talked about, which is the designated record set. What that is, is that's all of the records that we have about providing services to the individual and 
information used to make treatment decision. It does include the records from external sources. And if you remember back to when I talked about the sharing of information at the beginning of the presentation, that one of the things HIPAA wants to do is allow for the sharing of information and that clients don't have to go to multiple providers in order to get their record. So that if a client requests their records, they have a right to request and we must give, there's limited exceptions, and I'll talk about that in a moment, documents including documents created from external sources. If, however, another provider wants to receive um, request information that yet a third party um, created, we're going to refer that provider back to that third party to get this information. So a client requests access to the information. They could request access or copies of that information. I'm going to talk about situations in which we can deny that information. We must process the request, and if it's approved, we need to let the client know that and get appropriate copies. We can deny the access if one of a certain situation happens. A physician or a clinical psychologist finds that access would be reasonably likely to endanger the life or physical safety of the client or another person, or that the chart makes reference to a person other than a healthcare provider, and if you remember, we're considered a healthcare provider, and that requested information access would be reasonably likely to cause substantial harm to the person. In that case, we can deny um, that request. This um, reviewable grounds, if you notice, said a physician or a clinical psychologist, that is actually Virginia health privacy regulations set forth those individuals. The HIPAA regulations would allow a great, a larger number of people to deny access. But in this case, Virginia sets forth that only a limited number of people can deny that, thus allowing clients greater access than the HIPAA regulations would allow, so the Virginia Health Privacy Regulations control. If it's denied, you can see here there's a process for which an individual can request a, um, a denial. I'm going to let you read those slides in terms of understanding the process if it's denied. There's also a right on the next slide um, to access the chart for minor children and when parents may or may not be allowed to have access to their clients, to their child's chart. The next slide talks about requesting an amendment. Clients have the right to request an amendment of their record and we must act on that within 60 days and let the client know our decision. If we accept the amendment, then we need to make the appropriate changes and contact the appropriate people and let them know that. We can deny it for one of the three reasons on the next slide. In that case, we would need to let the client know why we denied their request. 
client has the right to elect whether or not they want their request and our denial to be included in additional disclosures unless they elect to write a written statement of disagreement. And at that point, then their request and our denial and their written statement need to all be included with any further disclosure of that information. Do you remember at the beginning I talked about accounting of disclosures? I'm now on the next slide, which talks about clients having the right to request a list of who we provided their information to. And that's why we have a disclosure log so we can account for that information. The next slide talks about the client's right to limit or request restrictions on disclosures. This is talking about permitted disclosures that we could make and in situations where a client can restrict who we provide that information to. For example, you might have an employee who is receiving services or their family member and they want to limit who can have access to their chart. They can request what we call a restriction on the disclosures and we need to look at that um, request. There's only one situation for which this department is required to agree to limitations and that's if a client has paid out of pocket for a health care service and request that we do not further provide that information to their health plan for payment purposes. The best example I can give you if an individual goes to a doctor and the doctor says you have high blood pressure, if the client or patient says, doctor, I'm willing to pay out of pocket for all services including prescriptions, but you may not tell my health plan about this, the doctor must consent. However, in the same situation if the client said, oh, I've got high blood pressure, well, I'm having surgery tomorrow and you can't tell the surgeon, the doctor would be under no obligation to agree to it. So that restriction that a provider must agree to is only for payment purposes and disclosures made to a health plan. The next slide talks about clients having the right to choose how we will contact them. And if you remember when I talked about clients electing to use email, that I said that we talked to them and asked them when they came into services, how would they like to be contacted? And we're going to honor all reasonable requests because what we find is that some clients may want to be contacted at work. They may have a private phone line that only they answer and they may have a spouse or um, roommate who is not aware that they're receiving services. Other clients, however, may want to be contacted at home and not at work. We need, we will ask clients how they'd like to be contacted and then we will uh, agree to honor, to honor uh, all of those requests. And the next slide talks about if someone has a privacy complaint, who they can make that complaint to. You've got Mark Seymour, the human rights advocate, as well as the Office for Civil Rights. This is the end of the PowerPoint presentation. I would encourage you, if you have any questions whatsoever or something wasn't clear, to please talk to your supervisor and ask them that question. If they can't answer this, that, please ask them to contact the compliance team or the quality assurance branch in administrative services so that we can make sure we've addressed 
any and all questions that you may have. So good luck. Thank you.